Democrats are concerned the public is not paying attention to the Senate trial of Donald Trump on charges he did some damn thing or other while he was talking on the phone to the president of somewhere about the fact that the Democrat frontrunner is utterly corrupt. Democrats fear people may not watch the trial because they're too busy with their new high-paying jobs or their soaring investment portfolios or spending time with family members who aren't going to war because all our enemies are afraid of us. And of course, if the public doesn't pay attention, they won't understand what an emergency it is that Trump did whatever the hell he's supposed to have done in between solving all the nation's problems. So to ensure the public finds the proceedings as gripping and urgent as Democrats are pretending to, Democrat leaders are discussing ways to make the trial as entertaining as other Democrat shows, like those Hollywood award ceremonies where millionaire movie stars tell us how stupid we are, or those library story hours where people with sexual disorders try to pervert our children. For instance, they began the trial with a solemn procession from the House of Representatives to the Senate, but this went awry when people demanded Nancy Pelosi take off her clothes so they could pelt her with rotten vegetables and shout shame like in Game of Thrones. Now, trying to strike a lighter mood, Democrats have composed an upbeat impeachment theme song with the rousing opening lyrics, the economy's great and foreign policy swell, so we're charging the president with something, something, something. Democrats say they hope they can get the lyrics to rhyme in time for the next session. Other impeachment show ideas being floated by the Democrats include having the <laughs> House managers played by beloved actors like Alec Baldwin and Robert De Niro and calling everyone who isn't paying attention a racist for some reason. Democrats hope these time-tested techniques will turn impeachment into a kind of successful reality show. Like The Apprentice. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. All right, today is Martin Luther King Day. So the traffic in L.A. is absolutely terrific. But also, we can look forward to leftists on television distorting every single thing Martin Luther King ever stood for. When I say this, I'm not taking the usual cheap shots. I'm not pointing out that King was a devout Christian pastor and a Republican, whereas most of the bigots and segregationists who opposed him in the South were Democrats, and most of today's leftists hate Christianity. Those are all fun facts to know and share. But I'm talking about the way King's pro-American, pro-responsibility philosophy has been perverted into a carnival of perpetual grievance and helpless victimhood. The New York Times, a former newspaper, is spreading the dishonest narrative that America was founded as a slaveocracy. They were breaking away from the British because the British wanted to end slavery, and that's why we formed America. It's absolute nonsense. But MLK preached that his crusade for freedom would be successful precisely, quote, because the goal of America is freedom. Rather than denouncing our founding as racist per se, he was urging us to live out the meaning of our founding creed and treat all people equally, which is to say where the Times and the left in general see bigotry as inherent in the founding, King sought to revitalize the founding ideals that bigotry, in fact, betrays. King looked forward to a day when people would be judged by the contents of their characters, but the left judges everyone by the color of his skin, evidenced by their disgusting rants against whiteness and their racist philosophy of identity politics and 
intersectionalism, which is just pure racism in another uh, way, just another way of putting their pure racism. King looked forward to a day when blacks and whites would live together in unity, but on leftist college campuses, they're now black dorms and segregated graduations that would make the great man roll over in his grave. King understood that the American sin against blacks was excluding them from the great American enterprise, but the left has used that sin to condemn the enterprise itself. MLK was not a perfect saint any more than George Washington or Abraham Lincoln were perfect saints, but like them, he was a great man with a great vision of bringing our founding to fruition, not discarding and undermining our founding in the name of past errors. I've said this before, the divide in our country is not between right and left. It's between friends of the American founding who are centered on the right but have allies on the left and enemies of the founding who are centered on the left but have fellow travelers on the alt-right. Let us, let's we, who are the friends of the founding, let's celebrate this day, not by listening to the leftist narrative, but by remembering what Martin Luther King actually stood for, because truly, he was one of us. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but first, let me do an ad that I'm really looking forward to doing. It is for Tommy John underwear. Now, when we when we get ads, when ads come into the Daily Wire, we have our friend Jared look over them and he tells us what we can check out to make sure we want to endorse the product or not and whether we think it's worthwhile. And we all take a look at it. With Tommy John, Jared just said to us, this is the best underwear I have ever worn. So we all got examples of it. And they sent me, for some reason, I don't know why they picked this, they sent me some underwear underwear that had the nutcracker from the nutcracker suite on it. And now I ask myself, is a man without underwear with the nut with the nutcracker suite on, is he truly a man at Come all? On. <laughs> Come is, on. But the man. fact is, I have to tell you, this is the best underwear I have ever put on. It is incredibly comfortable. I'm not even reading the copy here. I'm just telling you, it is the best, most comfortable underwear I have ever put on. They are so confident in their underwear that if you don't love your first pair, you can get a full refund with their best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free guarantee. Hurry to TommyJohn.com slash Andrew for 20% off your first order. That's TommyJohn.com slash Andrew for 20% off TommyJohn.com slash Andrew. And don't forget, if you want to be a real man, you got to get the Nutcracker Suite version. Also, Another Kingdom, the new episode is out today for everyone. Do not miss it. It's number 15 of 18. There's only a couple of weeks left because we're going to release the last two episodes together. So you want to get in tune with Another Kingdom. The reactions we are getting are unbelievable. You know, Martin Luther King Day, everybody always plays the I Have a Dream speech. I'm sure you've heard it a million times. And But remember that what King was calling for, he was calling for us to live out the meaning of our creeds. In other words, saying our creed is a good one. We have to live it out and saying to judge people by the content of their characters, not by the color of skin. What, what leftist does that now? What leftist does that? And the one thing they're always bringing out is they're bringing out the fact that he had socialist leanings, that in, in private uh, he would talk about the fact that he was probably a socialist. Now, this to me is like saying that George Washington owned slaves, okay? Socialism is a bad. It is unfair. It's stealing people's money. It's taking away your time, which is your life, and saying that more powerful people than you have a right to decide what to do with it. But 
in that day, that was back in the 60s, right? There was still some reason to believe that socialism could work out. We still didn't know everything we later found out about the Soviet Union. He was against communism. And the reason he was against communism was because of its material, this is quoting from him, his, its materialistic interpretation of history that denied religion and its ethical relativism and its political totalitarianism. In other words, he didn't like its leftism. He didn't like its leftism. I think he was wrong about socialism, but we all have our, our flaws. But listen to a speech that he made to a junior high school telling the kids there who were largely black how they how they should live their life. This is cut number two, talking about what they should put into their lives. Do that job so well that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. It falls your lot to be a street sweeper. Sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metro Metropolitan Opera. And sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth We'll have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. <laughs> That's an amazing, an amazing thing to tell people. First of all, think about this. What he's talking about, and he says this in, in this speech later on, he talks about don't let anybody deny you your significance. And he's talking about, he calls it your somebodiness, which I just love, a great phrase, your somebodiness. He's telling you, you are somebody no matter what you do. Because in this society right now, especially, and especially on the left, we talk so much about what people do, and we do not talk enough about who they are. We don't talk about what, you know, I, I hear people talking about motherhood as if, oh, you know, it's, it's taking you out of the market, as if the market were the most important thing about you. You know, this was a guy who understood because he was a Christian, because he was a pastor of Jesus Christ and a preacher of Jesus Christ, he understood that a person's significance goes beyond this moment, goes beyond this time, and certainly goes beyond the marketplace. And just compare this to the way the left talks today. Compare it to the way they tell you that you're a victim, that you can't do anything, that you have to confess your white privilege. But everybody is born with some kind of advantage or disadvantage. He's telling you that no matter what your lot is, you're significant. That message has been lost. And that's why I think we should really celebrate this day and reclaim it for the values that Martin Luther King actually espoused. You want to see what the, the part of the left that triumphed in the interim between Martin Luther King's day and our day. Let's go back to Bernie Sanders, all right? This is Bernie Sanders giving a speech back in the, those days about the revolution in Cuba that brought them under the tyrannical rule of communism and how he hated both the Republicans and the Democrats because in those days, both the Republicans and the Democrats were against communism. And, you know, I, I sometimes just want to come in one day and just play JFK speeches because if he doesn't sound like a Republican, nobody does. This is, this is the left. This is the, dem, uh, the left that has taken over the Democrat Party since Martin Luther King's day. Listen to what Bernie Sanders says. I was very excited and impressed by the, the Cuban Revolution. And there was Kennedy and Nixon talking about which particular method they should use about uh, destroying the revolution. And I remember the irony is we, we learned the history later on. Kennedy was saying that Nixon was too soft on communism. Let me pick up a point that Rick was making. In Cuba, 
we should deal firmly with Fidel Castro. And Nixon was playing the role of, hey, you got to be patient. You know, you can't do these things. You've got to negotiate. But of course, what he was upset about is that secretly they were planning the Bay of Pigs invasion right then. But for security reasons, he come, couldn't come out and say, we're already planning the destruction of the Cuban Revolution. Don't worry about it. So he, he was the liberal, and Kennedy was playing the conservative. And actually, you know, there are, when you read novels, people say there's a, a sick feeling in your stomach. Usually I'm sufficiently unemotional not to be sick, but I actually got up in the room and almost left the puke. Because for the first time in my adult life, what I was seeing is the Democrats and the Republicans, both of them, and of course, as Rick points out, Kennedy was the flashing young liberal. And what we were seeing right before our, my eyes, way, way back then, and I didn't know anything about politics, but clearly that there really wasn't a, a whole lot of, of difference between the two. Ooh, you suck! <laughs> we just threw that in. That wasn't part of the speech. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a difference between the two in opposing evil. Both sides opposed the evil of communism, as did Martin Luther King. When he talked about socialism, he was talking about the unfair, unfairness in capitalism. I've said before that capitalism doesn't cover everything. We need a capitalism basically governed by Christian principles. You cannot have capitalism on its own because people are, are wicked. They're broken and sinful and they will do things to each other they shouldn't do. No system covers everything. We have to be uh, dedicated to doing right. We just have to be. However, Martin Luther King opposed communism that's the side that Bernie Sanders is now one of the front runners in the Democrat presidential race. That's the side that took over the Democrat Party. And you want to know how crazy they are? I, I mean, I, I probably don't have to tell you this, but I have to read this to you. This is a piece from NBC News Online. All right. This is NBC News, which we know they've got Chuck Todd leading their news team. We know that they are just a left wing operation. These are the guys I hate to say it again, but I got to say it again. These are the guys who killed the Harvey Weinstein story because they were protecting Matt Lauer, who was taking advantage of every girl who came within his uh, purview. That story, that Weinstein story was killed right here in L.A. by Universal, who owns them, right? This is, these, these are these people. So NBC News, here is a, an article published on their website, website by a left-wing writer named Noah Berlotsky. It's called Trump voters motivated by racism may be violating the Constitution. Can they be stopped? If the Trump era has taught us, taught us anything, it's that large numbers of white people in the United States are motivated, at least in part, by racism in the voting booth. <laughs> I almost want to just read that sentence again and again just for fun. But Donald Trump ran an openly racist campaign for president, calling Mexicans rapists and criminals. He didn't. Regularly retweeting white supremacists. I'm not sure what that's about. And at least initially balking at repudiating former Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke, which he did do. And I called him out for it at the time and would call him out for it again. Obviously, you repudiate guys like that. Trump made it clear in his campaign that make America great again meant that America was greater when white people people's power was more sweeping and more secure. Nonsense. Then he says white voters approved that message by a whopping 58% to 37%. He says, Terry Smith, a visiting professor at the University of Baltimore School of Law, offers a response in his new book, White Lash, rather than excuse racist voters or try to figure out how to live with their choices, he argues that racist voting is not just immoral, it's illegal. He said... <laughs> He says, so how can you tell when voters are acting out of prejudice? If someone gives a reason for a hiring decision that's obviously false or makes little sense in context, the court has good reason to believe that prejudice or bias may have influenced the, un the hiring decision. Trump's unprecedented, compulsive, easily documented lying during the 2016 campaign made him an irrational choice. So if you chose Donald Trump, you were irrational. Therefore, we can prove you're racist. Therefore, it's unconstitutional. Therefore, your vote 
is illegal. How dare you? How <laughs> dare I? That's right. That's the, and, and that's the logic that has gone into this impeachment thing. It is this logic, oh, the, you know, the prayerful, somber, solemn impeachment that they were reluctant, so re- ever so reluctant to do. You know, uh, Nancy Pelosi was on Bill Maher, and she walks on, and he congratulates her. This is the first short clip. Listen, listen to this. First of all, thank you so much for waiting till we got back on the air before you started the impeachment. <laughs> that deserves a fist bump. Thank you. She gives him a big fist bump. It's, oh, boy. It's She's a become triumph. a crazed lunatic. <laughs> She's become a crazed... Mitch McConnell calls her out on the Senate floor. Uh, this is classic cocaine. Listen to this. The speaker distributed souvenir pens. Souvenir pens to her own colleagues emblazoned with her golden signature that literally came in on silver platters. The pens literally came in on silver platters. Golden pens on silver platters. A souvenir to celebrate the moment. Now, I seem to remember Democrats falling over themselves to say, they did not see impeachment as a long-sought political win. House Democrats said over and over that they recognized the gravity and the seriousness of this action. And of course, they had only come to it reluctantly. Well, nothing says seriousness and sobriety like handing out souvenirs. <laughs> golden pens on silver platters. Sounds like a golden pens on silver platters cannot mend this heart of mine. <laughs> anyway, you know, they're now arguing about whether they're going to have witnesses. And Adam Schiff says, oh, we have to have witnesses because we couldn't have witnesses in the House because we had to give Trump due process. And that's illegal. <laughs> Adam Schiff has gone completely out of his mind. John Kennedy puts forward the strategy he thinks uh, should go forward and why. Uh, talking to Tucker Carlson. You don't have to be Mensa material, Tucker, to see that Speaker Pelosi is swollen with partisan rage. Um, And uh, the whole process in the House was rigged. We're going to do it differently in the Senate. We're going to treat both sides fairly. As I said the other day, when we're done, I, I don't want the American people to look at the Senate's work and say, well, we just got run over by the same truck twice. It was unfair in the House and it was unfair in the Senate. <laughs> I want people to walk away and say, look, the Senate was fair. They did it right. They gave equal time to, to both sides and we understand the allegations and the Senate voted. And that's what we're going to try to do. I think that's the right strategy. I think that, uh, you know, they're saying We had an article in the Daily Wire saying that uh, Mitch McConnell has reportedly created a, quote, kill switch, unquote, for the uh, upcoming Senate impeachment trial that would allow for the president's legal team to either seek an immediate verdict or a dismissal of the case if the trial descends into a circus spectacle. And what they're worried about, I mean, Adam Schiff is such a dishonest agent that they're worried that he will take this over, turn it into the Adam Schiff 
impeachment show. Shifty shift. Is that guy the worst? <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm hearing these voices. If you're hearing, I hope you're hearing them too. But Mitch McConnell wants to stop that. I think if the Senate does a good job, they will put this uh, to an end and they should. That's exactly what they should do. So I just want to play. The Media Research Center does such good work. And when we're talking about whether there should be witnesses in the trial, and of course the media is saying, oh, there have to be witnesses. If there are no witnesses, then it won't be fair. The Media Research Center went back to the Clinton trial. And this is the media talking. This is a montage of the media talking about having witnesses at the Clinton impeachment trial. The whole issue has been a sham. It shouldn't have gotten this far. The House acted improperly in passing it on to the Senate. Why is your party dragging this thing out? Why is this happening? Why go through all this, uh, this business about witnesses? Do we really need more witnesses? It's going to add months to this thing. We should stop this. This bogus inflated uh, case. And get on with business of it's governance. Will these people just get down to business and leave this impeachment thing alone? It's going to be an enormous distraction. Uh, to the White House and all kinds of issues that the Congress ought to be considering. There's a long line of, of the people's business that seems to have been put aside and apparently is going to be put aside for weeks, if not months now. We begin tonight with the voice of the people. The visitor who got up and shouted, God Almighty, take the vote and get it over with. God Almighty, the man said, take the vote and get it over with. You know who the hero of this whole thing is? It's the guy who stood up in the Senate gallery last week and said, good God, vote and get over with this, will you? This process is Stalinist. His actions certainly do not warrant impeachment. Things change. The more things change, the more things stay exactly the same. This is why, this is why the Democrats have completely lost touch with reality. This is why they're talking about, remember when they talked about after uh, Trump got elected, they said, well, maybe the electors from the Electoral College can vote against him. Now the Supreme Court is going to hear whether that's a case about whether that's legal. But now they're talking on NBC. They're running editorials saying voting for Trump is illegal if we think it's racist, if we believe the per person who did it was racist. They actually ran an op-ed. What editor said, oh, this is a good idea. Trump voters are illegal. You know, Nancy Pelosi telling people, oh, how prayerful she is. And then guys like, you know, uh, uh, what is it, David Brooks over at the New York Times saying, oh, you know, yes, it's a what a wonderful Christian witness that she's so prayerful. I mean, this is the kind of nonsense that, separ that has separated them from reality. And if you want to see, the thing is, they don't know. They don't know that they're in a bubble. This is the wonderful thing. They're in such a bubble. It's really an iron lung. They're in such an iron bubble that they really don't know. So they have this thing, uh, Martha McSally, who's now serving as she was appointed uh, to serve as a senator of Ar for Arizona. And she was a, this is a very accomplished lady. She was a United States Air Force combat veteran. She flew uh, uh, combat missions after they said females could do that. I mean, thank God she had a combat jet and didn't have to use a medieval sword when she would have gotten herself killed. But that luckily, <laughs> luckily, she on, had, <laughs> luckily she had a jet. Anyway, she was walking to the impeachment trial. She was approached by CNN's uh, Manu Raju, I think it is. And uh, this was their exchange. Senator McSally, should the Senate consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial? Man, you're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. You're not going to comment, Senator, you're a liberal about this? Hack. So this got this got everybody so upset. CNN just went absolutely bonkers about this. I think that Hannity played this little clip. Ah, oh, wow. If you can't answer that question, maybe you shouldn't have been elected to the Senate. What? Oh. Sorry. Martha McSally, 
actually wasn't elected. Just It just demeaned the office. Her behavior was disgraceful. Well, if they did the right thing, uh, she would personally call you and say, I'm sorry, uh, it was an awful, awful thing that she did. It's harmful to democracy. Unbecoming uh, is... It's uh, a, a nice word. At the very least. It's a nice word. At the very least, that's what, what, but, that's what it is. You know, when they tell the news media, go away, they're telling you at home to go away. When they say we will not answer your questions, that's not just about us, it's about you. CNN sucks. <laughs> so, so even on the right, they were running editorials, some people on the right, saying this was wrong of her and she shouldn't have done it because the question was legitimate. I completely disagree. I completely disagree. Our media is corrupt. It is, it is philosophically corrupt. It is surrounded, it's people surrounding themselves with people they agree with and so that they don't know that they're in a bubble. They are the opponent. Trump is right about them. They are not just the enemies of the Republicans. They're the enemies of the people and that they keep information from coming to us straight on. We cannot trust the information we get from them. Every Republican should feel he is running against the press. And until they learn that Trumpian lesson, they are not going to be doing as good a job as Donald Trump is doing. Martha McSally got it just right, and she told Hannity exactly what she learned from this. I actually thought they understood that they were liberal, uh, that they were a part of kind of helping with the Democrat agenda. On a daily basis, you see whatever the Democrat talking points are, are the talking points in the liberal mainstream media, as you know. And I thought that they were aware of it, but somehow they just, you know, checked their journalism uh, objectivity at the door. What's been fascinating in response is it seems like they actually think they're neutral. They think they're objective. And that is more troubling. It's just delusional how they've responded to this. You know, never mind their hyperbolic words about, you know, thinking, oh, did she just have a bad day? Was she emotional? Uh, no, I was a fighter pilot. Uh, this was a choice I made. I did not crumble under their pressure. I've flown A-10s in combat. I decided to call a liberal a liberal, and for whatever reason, they couldn't handle it. They can't handle it because she's absolutely right. They don't know. They think they actually sit around with each other. And when it, when anybody says, well, maybe, maybe, we, I, and I know this, by the way, I, I'm not just talking. I'm not imagining this. I, I have sources within the media. You know, I know this is absolutely true. Whenever anybody pipes up and says, maybe we're being a little bit unfair, as unfair as Trump. Do you think we're being, I mean, when Trump, when the evil of Donald Trump is spreading through the land like a black stain over Middle Earth, it, can, it mustn't we stand up and fight them as if they didn't do the same thing to George W. Bush, as if they didn't treat uh, Barack Obama as if he were a god, as if they somehow just suddenly, suddenly under the evil regime of Donald Trump suddenly became lying dirtbags. It ain't true. They were always this. They have been this. You, we only had to look at that montage from Media Research Center going back to the Clinton trial in the 90s. They were always on one side and they just got caught because of the Internet. Because the, that's the reason. Because because we're here. Because all these little guys fighting the empire of lies, popping up from behind trees and taking shooting their flintlocks at them, are suddenly exposing them and they can't stand it. They can't extend stand to be exposed to the people, and they can't stand to be exposed to themselves. McSally is absolutely right. She got it exactly right. And that idea, by the way, that she cracked under the pressure, she got hysterical, you know, she got, because she's a woman, she got hysterical, and she said, I was a fighter pilot in combat. That's a pretty good resp response. This is what Republicans have to learn. This is why Trump is right. This is why all the never Trumpers were wrong until we break out of this bubble, until we break the back of this lying media, 
we've got no chance. We've got no chance to win back the people. We've got no chance to make our arguments straight up. We've got no chance to defend the positions, the good positions that we're defending. We're just going to hear lies, rewritten history. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes they just won't even mention the fact that Martin Luther King was a Christian because they certainly don't want that running around. And it means, it means that the Democrats can live in this bubble. You know, the Wall Street Journal ran an editorial about the debate last week in Iowa. And They talked about the fact that, remember President Trump in his inaugural address said this American carnage has to end, and he was talking about all the unemployment, and everybody said, whoa, that's so dark, that's so dark, there's something wrong with the man who's so dark. Well, they point out in the Wall Street Journal that every single one of the Democrats on stage talked about how bad the economy is. Uh, Joe Biden said, where I come from, the neighbors I come from, they're in real trouble, working class people and middle class people. Elizabeth Warren said, Americans are sick of living in a country uh, that is working great for the corporate executives, but isn't working well for everyone else. Bernie Sanders said, in America today, our infrastructure is crumbling. Half of our people are living paycheck to paycheck. Here's the facts, okay? They can do this because they can do this because the media tells them all of this. The U.S. economy has been expanding for a decade. The jobless rate is 3.5%, which is virtually nothing. Incomes are now rising faster for low-income workers than for their bosses. Uh, that, that includes a 5.9% annual increase for the bottom tenth of workers during the Trump presidency, more than double the rate in President Obama's second term. The bottom half of households have seen their net worth increase by 47% since the 2016 election. 47% for the bottom half. A late 2019 Quinnipiac poll found 57% of Americans said they were better off financially than in 2016, while 22% said they were worse off. So in other words, it's like they're completely... They're completely separate from separate from reality. And the real argument is whether we have the courage to take our chances and rely on ourselves or whether we need the government to take care of us, whether we need the government to do, you know, for us what we can't do for ourselves. They don't trust us. They don't like us. They don't like the people. They call us deplorable. They call us names. They think we're fools. They think our votes should be illegal. They think our vote should be illegal because they're racist. They do not trust us. And if you don't love the people, you can't love freedom because it's the people who should be free. It's the people who should be free, and the Democrats have lost that. They have lost that idea. We have to take a break from Facebook and YouTube, so this is a good moment for me to talk to you about going to dailywire.com and talk about the fact that you should be uh, subscribing to The Daily Wire. I also want to talk to you about something else. If you, if you listen regularly, if you've read my speeches, I have that book that I put out on Amazon, The Art of Making Sense. I tell the story of my pro-life uh, conversion and my support of the pro-life movement. Since the passing of Roe v. Wade, over 60 million preborn children have been killed in the womb. 60 million children who never had a chance to give the world their love and their countless young women have been harmed physically and emotionally. And last year, the left went even more crazy, passing the New York state law allowing abortion up to birth like the minute before birth, that's not a child. The Illinois state law allowing partial birth abortion. This year, almost every Democratic candidate supports uh, supports no restrictions on abortion, and Democrats in office have even moved to lift protections on babies who survive abortion procedures, allowing doctors to kill them after birth. I've talked about this before. You go down the wrong road, man, you, you will keep on going and you will end up in a dark place. Now, what you may not be aware of is how actively our political adversaries are working to shut down pro-life voices. When Ben Shapiro streamed his podcast live uh, from the March for Life in D.C. last year, our advertisers were targeted by left-wing media watchdogs 
and several of them pulled their ads from our programs. And this wasn't the first time, nor will it most likely be the last time, that we're attacked in a censorship attempt. It happens to us all the time. We're not the only targets. Live Action is one of the biggest voices in the pro-life movement. They continue to do some of the most important work in the space from raising awareness and education on the abortion issue to undercover videos that expose Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics for horrific human rights abuses. Live Action has been targeted numerous times on social media. They've been banned from advertising on Twitter for their calls to defund Planned Parenthood, and they have been banned from Pinterest altogether for quotes, quote, spreading medical misinformation. You can guess what that misinformation was. It's also known as the truth. They've also seen their advertising efforts and their online distribution restricted depending on the platform. That's why our dailywire.com members are so important. Your membership keeps the cameras on and our microphones turned up. And this is especially important during this election year. Your direct support helps us to say no to advertisers when they cave to these heinous ideologies. You keep us and our message from being canceled and you help the conservative pro-life voice get louder. That is why from now until January 31st, a portion of any dailywire.com membership will be donated to live action with promo code live action to support awareness and education around the world on this issue. So join dailywire.com and make your pro-life voice even louder. You know, yesterday in church, the preacher was talking about how God sends the apostles. The apostles get thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. God frees them from prison and then says, go back out and preach the gospel again. In other words, don't let your voices be silenced. And the preacher said, that sounds a lot better on a coffee mug than it does when you try to do it in real life. He is absolutely right. We are trying our best to speak the truth. We depend on sponsors, but we depend on you. We depend, if you support us, then we can stand up to the sponsors who cave in when they come after us. Please do it. It's worthwhile. Come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Talking about the ways in which the left is detached from reality because they're surrounded in this media bubble, they're surrounded with people who agree with them, they don't even know they're detached from reality. Peggy Noonan wrote this great column about the debate, and I want to just focus on one part of it. Uh, one of the things I love about Peggy Noonan, I mean, I just, I always say this, she writes like a girl. She, she writes with warmth, she writes with insight, she writes with a feel for things that a lot of columnists don't have, especially male columnists, but also women columnists pretending to be male columns. She's not afraid to write what she instinctively feels, and she often gets it right, even though I frequently disagree with Peggy, especially about Trump, who she can't stand, but I, I disagree with her, but I really respect her and I respect what she does. And she writes about the debate, there was a in the debate, a kind of detachment from real life. A voter asked, how will you prioritize accessing quality, affordable childcare? The candidates were indignant that women can be held from the workforce by the high cost of childcare. Pete Buttigieg vowed to get federal dollars involved and spoke of stunted careers. Miss Warren said, my plan is universal childcare for everyone. She told of how she was almost forced off track by childcare problems. Mr. Sanders said, Every psychology in the world knows zero through four are the most important years of human life intellectually and emotionally. Then Peggy Noonan says, no one spoke with compassion for parents, for mothers who forego the earnings and status and relationships of having a job to stay home with kids under four. No one said that actually a lot of parents think the most important thing is to stay home and raise the kids and that many struggle to do it and we might want to help them. No one noted we don't give any particular honor to those who stay home, even though 
our culture depends on them. Now, I always have to be careful when I'm talking. I'm an anti-feminist. I don't believe in feminism because I believe that feminism elevates male values over female values. It tells you to lean in. It tells you to be ambitious in your career. It tells you the most important thing about you is what you do, not who you are. And it basically denigrates at-home moms who I personally think are the most important people in the country, in any country, in any place, in any society, that when they say the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, I would say the hand that rocks the cradle forms the world, which is more important. I always will have to be careful about this because I know that I learned this from doing the show, really, that people have little uh, uh, boxes in their heads. And whatever you say goes into one of those boxes and they hear what's in the box. They don't hear what you actually said. So I, I just want to emphasize, as I always do, I'm not telling any individual woman what you should do with your life. We are individuals. We each have a call. We're each, each one of us is a path to God. Find your path. Follow your path. I'm just talking about the principles of virtue and ideas that govern a society. And I think feminism is a bad, has, has at least become a series of bad ideas that denigrate women in the work that women have historically done. The, part, one of the myths of feminism is that women were oppressed like blacks. They compare it to like the struggle for blacks to gain equal rights. It's not. Before there was technology, the roles of women and men were designated by nature, and they had different roles. And so people say, well, women couldn't even vote. Yes, because men had the role of running governments while women had the role of forming human beings and forming culture. They also, before technology, they also had home industries that gave them economic power. Women used to be called the distaff because they made all the clothes. That was a, an instrument used for making clothes. It's it's technology that has transformed the role of women and society is trying to keep up. And I, I completely support that. I completely understand this, given women more choices. They should take advantage of those choices. It's, it's put them in different positions. They should understand those positions. Nothing against any of that. What I have is this, what I, what I oppose is that this idea that women should only be judged insofar as they live up to the roles of men. That's what I think is absurd. When I say what I disagree with Peggy Noonan about here is she says they don't that the left doesn't give any particular honor to those. And let's face it, we're talking about women. It's not, you know, I know that there are at home men, but, I, you know, that those are the exceptions. The rule is women. Nobody wants to be raised by me. You want to be raised by my wife. <laughs> I'm just I'm just telling you that is the way it is. OK, so let, no one gives any particular honor to those who stay home, even though our culture depends on them. And what I disagree with here is I think the left attacks at home mothers because our culture depends on them. Our, it, it is women, it is mothers who give, who feed the culture into the life of the young. It is women and mothers who establish what the rules are, what behavior is right, what we believe, what is normal. It's really important to establish in a child's mind what is normal before you can give him tolerance for what is abnormal. That's why these uh, transvestite story hours in libraries are so misguided. It's just confusing to children. You can start with this is normal. Normal people have rights too. The majority have rights too. You can start with this is what normalcy is. And then if you have to struggle against normalcy, you can have tolerance and compassion for that. Again, I'm not telling anybody what they do, but I'm just saying that the left the left hates all of this. They hate the culture. They hate our debt to the past. They will not allow people to say this is a wonderful country. And though we have changed over time and we have to live out the meaning of our creed, as Martin Luther King said, we are trying, we move forward. They only want to just detach us from the past. Edmund Burke, one of the great conservative thinkers, to my mind, always said, tradition got you where you are. If you think anything is good about this, stick with the tradition and make changes 
in keeping with that tradition. It's women, it's at-home mothers who establish those traditions and keep them alive. You know, I think it goes beyond this. I think that children who don't have women in the home from the ages of one to five, I think they live with a certain emptiness. It doesn't mean you don't admire your mother for what she did. It doesn't mean you don't admire her for her work. But I hear this again and again, that there's a certain emptiness that, that people feel, and they don't always know why it is. But if you start to question them, you find out, oh, they didn't have mothers in the home. Has anybody ever done a study about childhood obesity and its relationship to mothers being in the home? Because they're always talking about, well, they eat too much soda, they play too many video games, they stay indoors. Is that really what it is? Or are they trying to fill a void that was created, you know, uh, by, by not having a mother in the home? Meanwhile, meanwhile, feminism, they had their women's march, which has become, like, I think, like 6,000 women in, showed up for it in Washington. I mean, hundreds of thousands show up. I have got to play this. I have got to play this. This is a long clip, but it's a long clip of them trying to sing, sing a chant song at the Women's March. Uh, well, just play it. It's wonderful. So now we're going to do only the song, and then we'll do it with the movements and everything. Okay? Yes. See? Ah, when we... One second, please. Sorry. When we are going to be in the march, there's going to be whistles, right? Like whistles that's to be silence. Then another round of whistles, and then is when Cometa starts with the kazoo. That's the sign, the cue for the band. And then to start the dance is my whistle, okay? That way we can all start together. If you don't hear it, you just follow the group. It doesn't matter. Yes? Yeah! Okay. Woohoo! Let's go with the kasu. Sorry, but you have, you have a choice of who you want to be, which band do you want to be in? And, you know, remember this march? This march was started. This march was started because of Donald Trump's uh, ugly remarks that he made about, you know, if you're famous, women will let you grab them. Uh, and that, that is how it started. And these women went out and started wearing these hats that were supposed to represent their vaginas so they could have their vaginas where their brains were supposed to be. But, you know, let me just remind you again. I mean, I keep going back to this, but it's so important because it focuses us on the reality of the situation. That tape of Donald Trump and it's locker room talk and, and guys do let off steam in locker rooms in way they ways they probably shouldn't, but they do. It, that was released by NBC, who held it until they thought it would do the most possible damage to Donald Trump. OK, it was Donald Trump saying something that's true, that if you're a billionaire and you're famous, women treat you better than they treat other people. Some women do that. So that was true. NBC waited to release that. Meanwhile, NBC protected Harvey Weinstein. They killed the story about Harvey Weinstein because they didn't want to get caught out protecting Matt Lauer, who was abusing every woman who came within his reach, within the reach of his grabby hands, okay? So these women rushed to the street, governed, inspired, controlled by people who were abusing women. The left has lost touch 
with reality. And that's the result. All right. A final reflection. I, you know, I just want to speak very briefly about Uncut Gems because I'm going to come back and talk about it again. Uncut Gems is this uh, uh, picture with um, Adam Sandler where he plays a guy in the jewelry district who makes a bet and he's a gambler and uh, he, he gets in bigger and bigger trouble. I had to turn it off after an hour. I hated every single person in it. And people, all my friends have been telling me, you got to see this movie. It's a great movie. And Sandler's great in it, by the way. He does a, a terrific job. I'll go back and watch the rest of it. Because the next morning I woke up and I thought, I could not stand that. Everybody in it is an ugly character. There's no one that you respect. There's no one you care about. It's just like awful people doing awful things to one another. And I could not, for the life of me, understand why all my friends wanted me to see it and why they thought it was great and why it's getting good reviews and it's getting nominated for all this stuff. Then the next morning I woke up and I understood that it is a depiction of reality you don't often get. And I mean that by the fact that it shows people in their races acting badly. The Jews act like the worst, uh, you know, cliche of Jews, money hungry and kind of squealy and backing down from physical violence. The blacks are completely irresponsible and aggressive without actually taking responsibility for themselves. The women are all complaining and unhappy, but they never, ever take responsibility for themselves. They never take their own lives in their own hands. And it's just an actual depiction of people acting badly because when people act badly, they do fall into the cliches that the people who hate them use. So it actually shows people who are not that appealing, not that attractive. And I thought, gee, maybe it's just the honesty. Maybe it's just the honesty and the self-responsibility and taking uh, responsibility for yourself that glued people to that picture. So I'll go back and watch the rest of it. I have to say they were not people I wanted to spend too much time with, but I'm happy to spend time with you. And so I will be back again doing that exact thing tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. 